0: Yeah. I love that you do this. A new angle, I love it. It's fun. It's something new. <laughs> uh, do you have theme music yet? We do. Josh the accounting professor, recorded it. Nice. That signals you haven't listened to the episode yet. I missed. I know.
1: Okay. I did. I did miss the. I haven't. I and because typically I do my podcast listening on runs. There you it's go. Something for which I have not been able to carve out time yeah. in the last months. Very sadly. <laughs>
0: Hello, and welcome to A New Angle. I'm your host, Justin Angle, Associate Professor of Marketing here at the University of Montana College of Business. This podcast is my chance to talk with innovative thinkers, both savvy vets and up and coming stars in the Montana business ecosystem. My goal with these conversations is to dig deep into how these people think, to understand how they view the world, and conceptualize the opportunities it presents. Let's go. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. If this is your first episode, we, uh, we appreciate it. Welcome. Uh, we're glad you found us. If you're coming back for more, we thank you as well. You're an important part of building this community. We're trying to grow this podcast, so help us out. Rate, review, share, subscribe, all those things that drive all the algorithms. Those are particularly important in the early days of a podcast, so help us out if you're so inclined. Today, I got the chance to sit down with new University of Montana president, Seth Bodnar. And wow, what an impressive guy Seth is. Valedictorian of his class at West Point, Special Forces Green Beret, Chief of Staff to General Petraeus, an Assistant Professor of Economics at West Point, Rhodes Scholar, two master's degrees from Oxford University, then a rising star at GE Transportation. He stepped away from all that to get back into service to take this role as a president of a public uh, research university. It was really interesting to get Seth's thoughts on leadership, on team building, on building change, on getting buy-in in in an organization, on dealing with crisis, and a lot of other things relevant to this community. Uh, We do get into the weeds at one point on some uh, acronyms and such that might uh, not make sense to those outside of the University of Montana realm. The first of those is APASP. What the heck does that mean? It stands for Academic Programs and Administrative Services Prioritization. I know that's really exciting. Uh, The second is SPCC. That's That's the Strategic Planning Coordinating Council. And the other is the UPC, University Planning Council. So when Seth gets into the sort of dynamics of the structural changes he's trying to make, he references those three entities And now you know what they are. So um, there'll be a test at the end. And uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to that. Anyway, I'll get out of the way. Without further ado, I give you Seth Bodnar. So I'm here with University President Seth Bodnar. Seth, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Justin. It's great to be here. So uh, you're about six weeks into the job. Yeah, I uh, guess so. It's coming up. This is, I guess, my sixth week. Yeah. Yes. So does it or does it still feel like you're drinking through a fire hose? No, um, I think it's more of higher uh, fire hydrant. Fire hydrant. <laughs> right I can imagine. Actually, I really can't. I mean, I, you know, we go back a little bit in the sense that we've gone for jogs occasionally during mm-hmm. the, the job search process here. And, and, you know, I feel like that was this precious time for me to sort of get to know you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, But also start to understand, like, this guy, uh, he has some sort of balance in his life. Um, Do you feel like you have balance in your life right now?
1: (laughs) Well, I first want all your listeners to know that these uh, runs that we've gone on have been like light trots for Justin. He's very kindly not uh, run me into the ground as he could. Um, But no, you know, I I, uh, to the balance question, to be honest, right now, I don't. Uh, you know, but that's, that's, you come into a new role. Uh, you know, you're doing 16, 17 hour days as I am right now, just, just trying as best I can to get to know this community, to get to, to listen, to learn from as many people as possible, to get out around the state, Mm -hmm. uh, to be at as many events around the university as possible. Uh, and that's really, that's really important. I think both for me personally, but for the community as well to, 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 Anytime you go through a leadership transition, presence and, and proximity of that leader is really important. So I'm trying to do the best I can. I've, I've, I will say my my kiddos have suffered a little bit from that, and, and I will absolutely say my
0: uh, my fitness uh, has. And so we'll get back to a little bit of a uh, better balance soon, hopefully. Well, you seem to be pulling it off well. It doesn't look like the fitness has suffered. It no. uh, <laughs> might feel that way. I understand. And I mean, yeah, you mentioned your children. You got three kids. How old are yep. your kids? I have three kids. I have uh, seven-year-old twins and then a little four-year-old. And your wife, Chelsea, pediatrician, she's in the midst of a startup of her own, right? She is, yeah. Chelsea
1: is uh, uh, a great thinker, an incredibly smart, talented person, great physician, uh, and has realized the potential of telemedicine, uh, in okay. other words, seeing patients online, mm-hmm. to really transform uh, The way pediatricians see their patients after hours uh, and to improve not just convenience, but quality and consistency of care. So she's she started a company uh, and is working actually with some pediatricians across Montana to to, uh, to expand the use of this tool fantastic it yep. seems like you two might be ships passing in the night at this point <laughs> in your lives. we have been a little bit busy but she's also in the midst of everything else that she's doing has been a rock of uh of not just support but uh but a, a true partner in this process in addition to everything else she's got on her own she's uh she's been a a great coach a great friend and uh Just a wise sounding board,
0: and you know, as you as you mentioned, you're getting to know this community. This community is getting to know you. You know, knowing a little bit about your background, this has to be one of the more, if not the most, public facing positions you've had. Absolutely, yeah. And how do you feel about that? I mean, now you're living in you're living in a house that's the university president's house. I mean, it's sort of you're you're on the job 24 hours a day in in a lot of ways. Yeah, you are, and
1: I think it's. that has its its challenges right mm-hmm. that's that's you are literally in a fishbowl and not everything I say or do is perfect and I'm gonna make some mistakes but I am doing my absolute best to mm-hmm. do what I think is right for this university and work with the very talented very wise experienced people across this not just here on campus but across this entire community um to help position UM for continued uh, uh excellence and, and vibrancy for the next uh next hundred and twenty five years of our existence.
0: For sure. And along those lines, you've had a pretty amazing career to date. At thirty eight years old, the number of things you do, I mean, that would fill the lifetime of many yeah. people. Thinking about that, you know, West Point valedictorian, your master's degrees at Oxford, teaching at West Point, and thinking about some of the great leaders you've worked with, Jeff Amel, General, General Petraeus, et cetera. I'd really like to understand something about your leadership style and, and, and what you might articulate as like the fundamental tenets of your, your leadership style. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, thanks, sir. thanks sir. Great question. I thought a lot about this over the years. I don't think I have as succinct and clear an answer as, I, as I'd as i like. I do want to tell you, I did just turn 39. Uh, Whenever it feels like it was two weeks ago, but uh, it was oh, the other well, day. Belated but uh, happy birthday. So, yeah, but thanks. No, I, uh, and, and, but I, I think, you know, right from day one at West Point, there's two things I remember that first day. One is they, uh, they teach you the definition. Of, of leadership. They just start to, to, to drill into what it is that a leader should be doing. Um the second, you know, can I interject
0: where is that in like is that in a particular class? Is it in the culture? Like know, where does that live? Right there.
1: up front. They say, you know, you are you are here, we're here to help shape you as a as a leader. Okay. Right. Um and a leader is to provide purpose, direction, motivation to help that organization achieve its mission. Sure. Uh, and so you start right off the bat that that's what you're there to do. I mean, the only other thing I remember that day is I got a tuberculosis test, you know, and you get the still yeah. skin test, right? Yeah. And that, uh, you know, because I prayed that night that it would be positive so I could go home <laughs> because I was not clear on what I'd gotten myself into. But, uh, but I think what, you know, perhaps counterintuitively to some, what I learned as a leader Throughout my time in the Army, when I walked, I joined a platoon in the 101st Airborne Division in Iraq. I was the new guy. Um, I hadn't been there for the initial part of the invasion, but there we were in the midst of a really tough, uh, really tough, you know, counterinsurgency environment, Uh, lack of clarity of our mission, really, uh, you know, lack of security. We had, we just did not have the infrastructure. And I realized that my job wasn't to come in there and say, all right, I've got this all figured out, Sure, guys, right? But it was to make sure that I did everything I could to position my team for success, to make sure that we got, that everyone there on my platoon, my 40, 40 guys, and we were all guys at that point, I was in the infantry at that time, and uh, that they were successful, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw that again when I joined a special forces team. You know, it's a, it's a funny thing when you're a, a young, and I was young, fit, strapping green beret, and you know, you're the, you're the captain. But yep. believe me, you walk into a special forces team room full full of a bunch of master sergeants who've been Green Berets for 15, 20 years. Yeah, they don't snap to attention and no. say, "Sir, what do you what are we going to do?" Right? It's more like, "Hey, Captain, do you got anything? Because we're sort of we're sort of busy here." Um, and so your your job as a leader in those situations a little bit like you know being the manager of the New York Yankees, right? It's it's you've got incredibly talented people, and your job is to make sure that they. That one, they have everything they need to to reach their potential, and two, that that you're helping guide the activities of that team uh, in the most effective and coordinated way. Right. And I actually saw the same thing in the in the business world, believe it or not. Uh-huh. And that uh, you know, I I led a team of of software engineers. Right, we had uh, a business with hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue selling uh, software solutions around the world, um, and I wasn't coding, you know, I wasn't writing the actual code, but my job was to make sure that those incredibly talented people had what they needed, that they understood where we were headed and that we were holding ourselves, not me holding them accountable, we were holding ourselves accountable to getting there. And that, I think, is the basis. Some might call it servant leadership, Mm -hmm. I I call it maybe enabling leadership, but I think that's a leader's job, is to make sure that we're clear in what we're trying to accomplish that uh, everyone understands uh, their, their role in that, uh, in that process and that everyone's able to, to, to perform to the best of their ability and reach their full potential in getting there. That's really what a, I think the most
0: effective leaders do. So I, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but that's what I aspire to. I mean, you're obviously that explanation of leadership is tremendous. But you're also, the record would indicate that you've been able to do that stuff too. Is there a moment you can recall that like, okay, this is the moment where I'm going to win these guys over or not? Like maybe mm-hmm. early in your military career.
1: You know, I think it takes time. I mean, it takes time to build trust, yeah. right? And I think, I think when, uh, when, you're, when your team is looking at you, they really look into two things. And they're looking to see, do you, are you competent at what you're supposed to do? Okay. Right. Not competent at, at at their job, but at your job, right? Mm-hmm. And do you have the best interests of this organization and of uh of each of the people in that organization? Do you have those best interests first? Are you looking out for yourself? Yeah. I think when you can demonstrate those things, um, that's when you get the buy-in of a team. Doesn't mean that there's not hiccups and hurdles and in debates, some of them robust, but that's what you have to strive for. You know, I, uh, when I was graduating, getting close to graduate from West Point, I had a, uh, a mentor of mine, a guy by the name of Barry McCaffrey. He was the youngest four-star general in the army, uh, army's history. Actually, he was a multiple tour veteran of Vietnam. Uh, it's a, you know, pretty severe injury to his, to his arm during, uh, during his second tour, uh, was the drug czar. Uh, under under the Clinton administration, yes. okay, um, and uh, you know, as I was getting ready to graduate, he pulled me aside, and I had I had been very fortunate; I'd been a, uh, awarded a Rhodes Scholarship, and so I was going to get the, the chance to go to Oxford. And um, you know, I he pulled me aside, and he said, "Let me let me tell you something." He said, "Don't ever mention to your soldiers that you got this scholarship that you went to Oxford." He's like, "They don't care. Mm-hmm. What they care about is." whether you have their best interests in mind and you're going to do everything you're, you can and you're competent and you're going to bring them home safely. So that's what you focus on. Yeah. And he was right. I never did mention that. It's funny. Cause then we, uh, you know, fast forward 10 years, I commanded a platoon, commanded a spent, maybe it wasn't quite 10 years, but, uh, commanded a special forces team. And, um, I was leaving my special forces team and my team sergeant, you know, the master sergeant and, uh, his wife and, and Chelsea and I went out to, to dinner and, we sat down and, uh, you know, we were actually over in Seattle and he sat down and he said, Hey, Captain, I brought, I got you a Rogue beer. You know, Rogue is a great yeah. brewery over there. Yeah. And I said, Oh, thanks. He said, because you were a Rogue Scholar, right? <laughs> and I said, doesn't matter. Thank you. Right. Yeah. And it proves that, he, you know, he,
0: had no, he, he, he didn't, didn't know what a Rogue
1: Scholar was. He, he didn't care. Right? Who, who cares special? what a Rogue Scholar is? It really doesn't matter. What right. matters is... Are you effective at the job that you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. and do you have the best interests in mind? So that's that's as I come into into this role, I'm trying to to keep that same mentality. Right, I wouldn't ever claim to try to be a, a professor of marketing or a chemistry professor or you know a law professor. Mm-hmm. But there are things that i'm supposed to do for this university yeah. in terms of advocating for those in terms of helping make sure we we go through a process of setting a clear strategy that we are being uh, effective in our, our our recruiting and our retention efforts and so i'm focused on you know trying to make sure i'm doing my job the things that i in this capacity should be doing and that i hope i'm, I'm trying to demonstrate or i am trying i hope i am that that we, I really have the best interest, not just of this place, but the, the great people that work at this place at the forefront of everything we do.
0: Yeah, and it would seem that this is a theme you've you've seen before in your career. You know, as a new newly minted officer into a leadership position in Iraq, as a, as a fast-rising star at GE, and now as a university president, an argument you've probably come across before is, hey, it's too early for you to be doing this. You're too young, or this is too soon, or haven't you paid your dues, or... And do you think intentionally about sort of inoculating yourselves to those occup- those arguments? Or you just do what you do and and just sort of let the chips fall where they may? I just want to get into your head about how you approach that.
1: Yeah, I uh, and, and absolutely think of those things. And I think uh, it's as I come into this role, I mean, I, I submitted my candidacy for this role knowing that that I was a, a, a non-traditional pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have not been at all bitter, surprised, you know, upset, had I not been selected, right? But right. I submitted my candidacy with a, a fair and clear depiction of, of what I've done and mm-hmm. and that I'd love to do everything I can to help this and work in support of this great university. And so whether that means I haven't paid dues or I'm too young to do that, I'd let others decide that. Sure. And that's, that's, I think, what you do when you put yourself out there in a very public way uh, for a position like this. Um, you know, I, I was very honored, very humble, um, to be selected and I take the confidence placed in me by the selection committee, uh, by the community, by the board of regents, incredibly seriously. Um, and I can't guarantee that I'll be perfect. I can't guarantee that I won't make some mistakes, but I can guarantee I'm going to work harder than I've ever worked. I am doing that right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, and that I'm I'm working to the best interests of this of this university, and I think that's at the end of the day that's all you can do. Uh, and and yet you do I think it, you have to let people form their opinions uh, about yeah. you and, and and listen to their feedback and adjust and always continuously seek to improve. Uh, and I'm trying I'm trying to trying to do that. And I think people will you know will certainly form their their opinions about that over time.
0: Mm-hmm. And as you as you come in. You know, I'm sure there are, well, I know there's forces because I sort of count myself in one of them, although I don't know if I'm part of a force. Yeah. Um, I count myself as one of those on campus that feels like we need some pretty serious change, like what we've been doing is not working, and the numbers sort of bear that out. And um, there's probably others on the campus that think we don't really need to change. We'll just keep doing what we're doing, and sooner or later things will come around, and truth is probably somewhere in the middle. How do you kind of approach that you've come into this culture where some people have specific ideas of what needs to happen and other people don't know and anything else in between mm-hmm. i think i mean the good news is
1: we're building on almost two years of work and okay. and, and, and uh and uh, committee work and, and community uh, examination of you know, whether it was through the SPCC and generating more than five thousand data points in terms of the the, the vision and direction of this universe, and you, you take a path where literally uh, people work fifteen-hour days for nearly a year, uh, fifteen-hour days at times, to formulate uh, an assessment of the strengths of our programs, and I think pulling those together, we have, we're building on a great body of work and a great mm-hmm. body of information. I wouldn't purport to know exactly the level of change that should happen, but what we're trying to do in reconstituting this UPC is to get a a representative uh, group of this university together and say, all right, we need to be clear, we need to be intentional, Uh, we need to be focused on uh, understanding our strengths and applying those strengths to the greatest opportunities that we see. And that may mean some degree of, of significant change. Uh-huh. Um, but I think we need to embrace that idea. We need to embrace the idea that we have to adapt. We have to to continuously evolve to meet the needs of our students, to meet the needs of the state, to meet the needs of this country. But it, it's it's a process that I think we have to go through together. Yeah, uh, And that's what I'm trying to do with the UPC. I've I've been hopefully very clear, but I want to reiterate, I'm not a person that says or feels like I'm going to come to walk down off Mount Sentinel with, you know, read the APAS sure. reports, sure. read the street vision and then lay out the specific plan for university. I think that'd be both, not just, not just arrogant, but, uh, incredibly, uh, uh, unwise of me to try to, to try to do that. I think we have to bring, uh, together, uh, a, a talented group of people to do that jointly. And, but we do have to, I think, be clear, and we have to make some decisions. We have to. Excellence requires decisions. Excellence requires choices. The alternative is really a, a drift
0: to mediocrity, and none of us can let that happen to this great university. And so as, you, as you're laying that out there, it makes me sort of, it harkens back to your sort of leadership philosophy of Proving to the team that, that you're good at the job that, that you need to do and that people, and that you're not going to get in the way of people trying to do their jobs. As, as I hear you talk about, this sense of humility is, is a big theme. How do you balance that humility with your own sort of internal confidence of, hey, I can do this job. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is an opportunity. I'm going to execute well in this role. Right. Because you have to. I mean, you wouldn't be where you were unless you had tremendous confidence in your ability to achieve.
1: Well, you know, I think everybody has a mix of kind of confidence and and massive self doubt, right? Mm-hmm. Which you know you you compensate for through hard work. Yeah, uh, and I think that's it's a, it's a really interesting uh, 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 process to think as you take on a new job, right? It is daunting at times, and I think. You'd be crazy to not come into this role and have those moments where you say, "Holy cow!" Yeah, you know? What have been the biggest surprises? You know, I think the biggest surprise is I think there's some there's some positives, there's some, uh, and then there's some things that boy, this is tough. I think the positives, I, I just think there is such a passion for this place, and there's mm-hmm. so much excitement around the university yeah. and the great things that are happening here. Uh, so I think one of the things I'm really focused on is doing a much better job of communicating those. But I think on that point of communication is it's you know you work really hard to make sure that you're engaging the right folks that yeah. you're doing uh, that that you're understanding the full context of just not everything you say but as you as you communicate certain things and that uh, the sequencing of of communications and the, the the hard work of trying to make the Entire campus feel included in the yeah. process of yeah. leading this university, which I'm working really hard to do. It, but it's 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 really tough, just for both from an hours in the day standpoint and the and the dispersion of of people.
0: You know, so it, I think it's really it's something I want to do a much better job of. Absolutely, it's one of those things too. I mean, we we talk about this in marketing class. When you see communications done well, it looks easy. Mm-hmm. It's like watching Michael Jordan dunk a basketball, right? I mean, it looks effortless. Mm-hmm. And that almost belies the or it does belies, the difficulty in, right. in, in right. crafting and executing a message and getting everybody on that message and, and not wavering right. when you can get distracted from it for sure. Agreed. Yeah. I think it's you're exactly right. So, you know, as we as we kind of look to, you know, your first first six weeks here, we talked about some surprises, some roadblocks. You know, if you were to only be given two years here mm-hmm. and you had to walk away what would be successful for you yeah how would you define success yeah i think it's it's, it's a great
1: question i think that my job in uh, in this position right i think i've as i said last week you know if i'm the if, if i've been named the captain of this ship mm-hmm. my uh, job isn't to specifically define the exact course I have an, uh, a view as a, as a member of a leadership team and, and what that course looks like, but defining the exact course is not you know, solely my responsibility, but making sure that we have a course mm-hmm. that everyone understands uh, and that we're clear and intentional about how we're working in, uh, in an integrated and efficient manner to, to follow that course. Um, that's what I see is, is my job. And so over the next you know, if fast forward two years from now, and um, I think if we have a clear strategy that people understand, we understand where we're focused to drive excellence. You know, we understand what our north star is, yeah, and the the, the strategies that we have in place to guide us toward that. Uh, and when you talk to people, not just here on campus but around the state, they understand, hey, this is what UMS about. I think that's. Uh, I think we'd all be happy. I mean, in all of us, but I think that's where I, I have the biggest uh, responsibility
0: yeah. in that realm. Your talk last week, you gave, just for listeners to understand, Seth did a, a talk to faculty to talk to staff and talk to students, kind of rolling out a, a near-term and long-term vision. And, and two things really stood out to me in that presentation. The one was creating a structure where strategic thinking and innovation is ingrained in the process, rather than having these sort of ex-ante groups that swoop in and give their recommendations having a system where you mm-hmm. can learn and integrate and implement new ideas and like you've said think also evaluate where you're where, where you're not performing and maybe you should stop doing things mm-hmm. um, that seems like a new idea for this university
1: well i think we have those structures in place you know okay. we have our planning assessment committee we have a the we have the university planning committee, we have the budget committee, we have our implementation uh, mechanisms through cabinet, through the deans, mm-hmm. we have the uh, accreditation and assessment committee. So if you think about that planning assessment continuum in terms of you develop a plan slash strategy, which drives your budget, which then you implement and then you assess the effectiveness and then that assessment feedback in your new plan and you continue around that loop. We've all seen that diagram, Yeah. but I think our, we've, We've gotten a little off kilter, uh, and it's it's not through anything necessarily that was bad, but we just had some some process, right through the SPCC, through the APAS task force, that were that did phenomenal work, right, and gave us some great uh, some some a great foundation off of which to build. But I think at this point we now have to crystallize that into a plan right. that then uh, drives our budget. Uh, we implement and then have that mechanism for continuous assessment, continuous learning mm-hmm. and get us back onto that, onto that planning
0: assessment continual in, in a clear and an intentional way. Exactly. And then the other thing you mentioned in your talk, which I found to be a really powerful headline, if you will, is this is not a crisis, mm-hmm. the situation we're in. And, and I found that really meaningful to just hear the leader of the institution have the kind of poise to, to say something like that. And also, you know, for 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 faculty members or you know, staff or whatever on campus that sort of feel the need for change to do something, that was um, it was just sort of it had a calming effect, a yeah. sense of urgency to act.
1: Well, I think we do have an urgency to act, to be clear. But I I think we what I what I wanted people, because we talked about the fact that we have a structural imbalance right now—our yeah. right? recurring revenues, our recurring expenses—are uh, not in line, uh, and so we're using kind of we'll call it one-time funds, things to 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 make the budget at an overall level balance. Uh, a structural imbalance can continue for a time, but not indefinitely. Yeah. And that's where we have to be clear and lay out a four-year plan, a five-year plan, really from 18, uh, starting with 18, uh, to get those two things back into structural balance. But I wanted to be very clear that, look, we have an imbalance and we're not, but we're not going to just overnight do massive across the board, non-strategic right. cuts. No rash reaction. But we have to be clear about what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Because when you when you defer decisions, all you're left with, are non-strategic across the board cuts right. and that erodes the quality of an organization and we can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so to to maintain excellence, to maintain quality, to enhance quality, you have to make you have to make choices. And the urgency for the campus to make choices I think is there. Sure. But those choices then will impact the budget over time. Right?
0: Both on the revenue side to be clear. Yeah, as, yeah. as well as uh, on the expense side. No, I like that framing it in terms of, in terms of revenue and the many mm-hmm. ways we can do that. Um, you know, as you, as you kind of look at this, I'm sure you're coming in and evaluating structures, but you're also evaluating people. Do you have different ideas about how you change structures versus how you change or, or try to motivate people to change? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, look, I think, uh, your operations management folks will, will have to make sure you correct me on the exact wording of the quote, but Deming, the quality expert, okay. you know, would, would tell you that a bad system will defeat a good person every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And so I would tell you as I've come in here, I've been primarily looking at structures and systems to say, all right, when I talk about our communications or how we're talking both to alumni, to students, all the way from the first time we see them to uh, when they show up on the Oval, always integrated in that process as we can be and we're taking a hard look there you know i think the same thing when you think about student success we had a great yeah. discussion in asum cabinet this morning about looking at at student well-being you know just inside and out of the classroom in a, in a more integrated way so like how can we if, we if we say retention and student success are key imperatives for us structurally what do we need to do to make sure that you know people great people across this organization are working with the support of the structures in place, rather than in spite of them. Right? That's that's the job of a leader is to yeah. unlock the the full potential of people to 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 solve the, the challenges or or you know, seize the opportunities that we have. Uh, and so that's where I think right now. I mean, I'm I'm very much focused on: Do we have? Are we are we aligned? And mm-hmm. how we're
0: trying to accomplish some of the most important things for this university? Yeah, fantastic. Well, I've heard you say, Seth, that uh, time is your most valuable commodity. <laughs> I know you have a hard stop. You've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate that. Uh, one final question: uh, Maybe it only gets a half a page a night, but is there something on your nightstand that you're trying to chip away at reading-wise that uh, tells something about you? Good question.
1: I think what I've what I've been uh, I've been rereading a great book. Uh, Called How Universities Work by John Lombardi. I think it's a great uh higher ed uh higher ed refresher. I, I was, you know, it's been looking through Michael Crow's, uh um the uh designing the new American University. Uh I also uh had just been reading Joe Biden's uh book called Promise Me Dad, which mm. I think is an interesting story of of just pain and, and growth uh through just such a, such Tremendous uh, loss. I, I actually was uh, in in Baghdad with uh, with Beau Biden, uh, the vice president's son, and uh, just a phenomenal guy. And yeah. horribly sad to see him his passing uh, in this book. Who from a from a uh, a man and, and Vice President Biden mm-hmm. who just saw so much kind of loss throughout his life, whether it was his first wife and his daughter, yeah. and now his son, and um, and his his approach to that, I think has been he's a he's an impressive human being, and and. Uh, so that, that's one that I've been getting through at, at night right now. Fantastic.
0: Yeah.
1: Seth Bodnar. Thank you. All right. Thanks,
0: Justin. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Seth. He's an impressive guy and I hope he can get this University of Montana community moving in the right direction. We're seeing good evidence that that's already happening. Thanks for listening to this episode. We really appreciate it. And remember that A New Angle was brought to you by CED, Consolidated Electrical Distributors. They're our first sponsor, and we can't thank them enough. CED is one of the largest electrical wholesale companies in the country with nearly 600 locations nationwide. CED is a privately owned business-to-business wholesale company that distributes just about every piece of equipment that keeps your lights on, your energy flowing, and your lifestyle comfortable. CED is also an important employer in our community and they have a keen interest in University of Montana graduates. To explore career opportunities, check out www.cedcareers.com. Coming up next week, we're excited to have an episode with Missoula Mayor John Engen. And if you have any suggestions for other guests, cool people doing awesome things, please let us know. And finally, if you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways you can support it. First, rate us on iTunes. Ratings help others find the podcast. Second, please write a review. The more reviews we get, and hopefully positive ones, the more we can grow the show. And third, please just tell your friends about it. In addition, you can support A New Angle financially. For information on sponsorship opportunities, please visit our website, www.business.umt.edu slash A New Angle. There you will also find a link to support the pod. Before we go, I'd like to thank a few folks for making this project happen. First, my colleagues here at the College of Business for supporting this endeavor. In particular, Professor Josh Herbold for writing and recording original music for the show. We also have music provided by Switchback Records, a student-run record label here at the college. I'd also like to thank Elizabeth Willey and recent UM graduate Michelle DeFluke and the entire comms team here at the College of Business for all their help. And finally, thanks to my producer, Stefan Borson. If you have any questions, suggestions, comments, insults, whatever, please email me at anewangle at umontana.edu. Help us spread the word, and be sure to use the hashtag anewangle when you do. Thanks, and see you next time.